We are a third of the way through the NFL season, which means bye weeks are upon us. Welcome to the QB List Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 7 Sit Start Edition. I am Eric Smith, joined by Ryan Heath, as always. And the team's on a bye this week. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings, and Los Angeles Rams. So congratulations if you have a good fantasy football team. You probably don't have any of your good players this week. So we are here to go through our rankings, make sense of some of these difficult backfields, um, these up and down receivers, give you some good sit-start recommendations. But as always, please check out QBList.com for the sit-start article. We will go through every single fantasy-relevant player. And one of our sit-start writers, Drew DeLuca, was the number one most accurate expert on fantasy pros on the, the expert consensus rankings this week. So huge shout out to Drew DeLuca. He had some awesome uh, preseason draft rankings last year. So he's just crushing these rankings and you can get his advice in sit start every week. So generally he's following around the Philadelphia Eagles um, as a, a hometown Eagles fan, but uh, he, I think he's got the week off this week. So uh, I'm sure he'll be covering a different team. So check him out in the sit start um, article. And uh, yeah, obviously some good insights there. So Ryan, we are not quite the most accurate experts in fantasy football this year, but um, I think our work and our hustle on this podcast makes up for it. So how are you doing? How are your rankings doing? How are your teams looking? I'm doing pretty good. And I mean, my teams are not looking great uh, this week because as you said, if your team's good, it's not this week just because all the good players are on by. Uh, as as for how my rankings are doing, uh, I about as horrible as everybody else's because there just just aren't any good players to rank this week. Uh, I am scanning down my wide receivers right now. I have Juju as a top 30 receiver. I don't think I've had him ranked anywhere near that since week one. Uh, j- just to give you an idea of what we're working with here. Uh, we've got Alan Lazard posted up in the top 30. It, it, yeah, this is not a good week. Yeah, I have Ezekiel Elliott, RB15, at home against the Detroit Lions. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at this week. Bye weeks are upon us. We will get through all of that, as always. So, uh, we wanted to start out with some news up top, because the Thursday night game this week, uh, I think every single player is injured. So, uh, we've got a matchup between the Arizona Cardinals and the New Orleans Saints. Uh, if you're listening to this after Thursday, you may just want to go ahead and skip down to the next section of this podcast, check out the timestamps. But um, we're going to go through this Thursday night game and make sense of it because there are a ton of injuries. So Ryan, take a deep breath. Uh, we're going to get started here. Let's start with the Arizona Cardinals receivers. Marquise Brown, he is out with a foot injury. will miss at least a month. Uh, they just traded for Robbie Anderson. Cliff Kingsbury said he will be very limited if he plays at all this week. Uh, so what are we doing with the Cardinals receivers? Because Marshawn Lattimore is out for the saints and this passing defense did not look real great last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. So I think we want to start Cardinals receivers here. What are you thinking beyond Marquise Brown and Robbie Anderson? Uh, yeah, we definitely do want to start Cardinals receivers. Uh, I have two of them in my top 30 as well. So I've got Rondale Moore ranked up at wide receiver 23 this week. Uh, All it takes for you to get in the top 24 is to just show that you've commanded targets this year. And when Rondell Moore's been on the field, he has uh, coming off a double digit target game. Very happy to fire up Rondell Moore this week. Then there's DeAndre Hopkins. I have him at wide receiver in 29. I'm a little less bullish on him that he's the type of player where I was not all that into him in the preseason uh, just because he was very much falling off last year. Like it kind of went underreported that 
his yards per out run targets per out run were very much down. Like I- I'm talking like worse yeah. than any season of his career, like since his rookie year. So Hopkins probably is not fully himself, um, especially now that he's not on PEDs. Sorry, DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, with how the receiver position is this week, like, yeah, he's a clear start. There's not, not, not much else uh, th- that I can say on it. It's, there's no other way to go. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if this Saints defense is trending towards a pass funnel defense, at least while Lattimore is out. Um, they now have the six most fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Their 69% catch rate is the third highest in the league. They're giving up a ton of points to receivers out wide as opposed to in the slot. So I think that makes sense when Lattimore is missing and that really profiles well for DeAndre Hopkins. So I do agree on Hopkins. Like he has been trending down from a career perspective, but I do think some of that was him being less effective on injury. And as of right now, he is healthy. So I, I, I don't know. I, with the state of receiver and fantasy football in general, I think we can feel pretty good about starting DeAndre Hopkins. We, we know Kyler is going to throw him the ball a ton. So like, what more do we need at this point? I, it's just like, is this offense going to function? <laughs> like we, we're going to get treated to quite the Thursday night show. I think uh, <laughs> I I'm going to be on a plane watching this game. So I'm super sorry to whoever's sitting next to me on Alaska airlines and will have to hear me get angry uh, whenever Kyler just, just does something I don't like, just doesn't escape pressure, uh, throws for minus five yards to Ron Moore in a genius, geniusly drawn up play from Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. I'm excited for this one. If you can't tell. Yeah. It's easy to list these names on Arizona. And then you remember that what nine points against Seattle last week. So uh, it's clearly not all working right now. So we'll see if Hopkins can make this uh, function, but I I think offsetting Marquise Brown injury is kind of maybe two steps forward, one step back. We'll see. So let's get to these um, Cardinals running backs. They say that James Conner is going to be a game time decision, which thankfully this is a Thursday night game. So we can get this out of the way up front. You're not going to cost yourself a start by waiting on him. So correct me if I'm wrong here, James Conner, we're probably playing him if he is active. Eno Benjamin, we're definitely playing if Conner is inactive because Eno Benjamin had like a bell cow snap share last week. I think he was second in the league among all running backs. So I think the real question is if they both are active, can we get a start out of Eno Benjamin? It's like a desperation play if James Conner is, is active. Like anything you want to correct me on there? I mean, it's just, it's running back is rough, man. So we got, we got to find people to start this week. Yeah. I mean, I agree mostly. I mean, I guess it just is depending on how desperate we're talking here. Like it, I mean, so if Eno has the backfield to himself, he was 13th among all running backs in Oppo this past week. So that is a clear bell cow role. I mean, the production didn't come because, yeah, as you said, the Cardinals couldn't figure it out against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, but yeah, if both Connor and Eno are playing, th- this gets really gross really quickly. Like at that point, I think I'd rather roll the dice with guys like Melvin Gordon or Kenyon Drake guys that you have ranked outside the top 30. I, I mean, what do you think about that? Like, I, I just don't see how we get, you know, Benjamin with an uncertain role in this game environment in your yeah. lineup. That's fair. I will. Yeah. I mean, I will say I had, you know, Ben or 
yeah, you know, Benjamin is up about RB 22 with no James Conner. So I guess it, it's hard to get, have him real high if James Conner is in the game. Um, I also have Melvin Gordon ranked lower, but we'll get to him later. Maybe there's some encouraging news. Same with Kenyon Drake. We're going to talk about both of those backfields. But yeah, I mean, as far as a matchup goes, like the Saints have not allowed a lot of points to fancy running backs. They have given up the 10th most rushing yards. So I wonder how much of that is just kind of small sample size, you know, touchdowns allowed. I, the Saints defense just didn't look real great. So yeah, Eno is a desperation play if James Conner is active. I, I do think what's encouraging about Eno is that uh, they trust him on the ground through the air. Like I think he can fill a few different roles here. But yeah, he's he's probably worst case scenario RB2 if James Conner's in the game. Yeah, and it's not like Keontae Ingram or Corey Clement were getting involved either. Like he he just had it to himself. So yeah, I I that's the silver lining with Eno. I, honestly, I I think down in RB twenty two is a is a little pessimistic of you if you're ranking assuming Connor is inactive. Like I I think I'd rather Eno over somebody like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, you have Travis Etienne one spot ahead. That one's probably pretty close. Jeff Wilson, I'm not feeling great about against Can- against Kansas City. So yeah. I, I think there's arguments to get, get him up into like solid RB2 range. Okay. Well, yeah, if you have either of those players, though, obviously keep an eye uh, right up to the kickoff on Thursday night because it's going to change um, depending on if James Conner is active. So let's get to the New Orleans side here. Uh, we don't really know who they're going to start at quarterback. It's It seems like Andy Dalton and James Winston are off the injury report. Like, I don't know if Dalton has surpassed Winston here. I'm not exactly sure what Winston did to get benched, and Dalton certainly hasn't done anything to win this job. But um, does this change your outlook on this passing game, whether it's Dalton or Winston under center, or is it just kind of like a a below-average option regardless? Um, I mean, in the one game that Dalton played with Chris Olave, or at least the one full game, he was still feeding Chris Olave all the air yards that we wanted. So I, I think this offense is probably going to function fine for the skill position players, regardless of who it is. Uh, but yeah, I, head coach Dennis Allen just thinks he's holding his cards really close to his chest right now. He think, thinks he's like pulling a Bill Belichick or something just... And that he's the genius in this situation. It's like, dude, I, I don't think anybody really cares if Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston starts. I in Superflex, I think Winston's interesting is like a desperation QB start. I probably wouldn't bother with Dalton though. That that would be the only fan real fantasy implication here. Yeah. I mean, Winston's gonna give you more downfield passing ability if he's healthy. Dalton maybe can get this offense to function slightly more consistently, but yeah, I mean, it's really all about, obviously, Alvin Kamara, you're starting him, but it's all about Chris Olave. He's been fully cleared for week seven as of right now. Um, that was from his lips, so I'm assuming he's being truthful here, but um, he said he was fully cleared for week seven. But uh, already out this week are Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and Adam Troutman, the tight end. So it's like Olave, it's Alvin Kamara, whatever role we get from Taysom Hill. But um, I, I think we have to be really bullish here on Chris Olave. Yeah, we do. He's ranked as my wide receiver 15 right now. I have no idea why consensus isn't higher. I want to say he was down at like wide receiver 22, 23. When Chris Olave has been on the field, guys, all all he does is command like a 40% air yard share, get double digit targets. Like he came out extremely impressively. And now that he's missed a game, it's almost like people have forgotten. So there, there aren't that many receivers I'm more bullish on than Chris Olave for the rest of the season. And I, I mean, this is a good spot for him theoretically, unless we, unless we get the Thursday night football magic. Yeah. And I mean, this, 
this Saints offense has been pretty good considering how beat up they are, how many people they've been missing, what their quarterback situation is. We'll get down to them later when we talk about uh, some implied totals, but um, they, I don't know. They've been, they've been surprising us. They've been putting up some points. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's uh, definitely some opportunity here, both sides of the ball here, but it's, it's Thursday night football, Ryan. So we're probably looking at another 13 to seven game. Yeah, I'm just gonna, you know what, as soon as the plane takes off, I'm just gonna jam in like 150 showdown entries with kicker and defense captains, because that's what we have to do to feel alive in the year 2022. It's it's where we're at right now. Uh, I love Will Lutz, so I'm, I'm all on board. <laughs> jam Will Lutz into your lineup. Okay. I think that wraps up Thursday night. Welcome back, everyone who's listening on Friday. Um, let's get into the regular news for the week. Um, let's start out with the Cam Brait injury, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight end. Um, he did not practice Wednesday. He seems like he's destined to miss multiple games. He's had concussion injuries. I believe they're calling this one a neck injury. He was like stretchered off last week, though. I would be shocked if we see Brait back anytime soon. So, Ryan, I know you just want to talk about Kate Otten. Uh, you wanted to bring him up last week. We're going to talk about him in streamers, but um, have at it. How excited are you about playing Kate Otten this week? Well, first, before I make, I don't want to make light of this. Like, yeah, th- this Cam Braid injury was pretty scary. I, the whole team was around him as he's getting stretchered off. Um, but yes, it, this makes Kate Otten very interesting. Um, hope, Hopefully the, uh, yeah, I, I think that this might save us on the, KDOT in process in the, in the KDOT and versus Taysom Hill wars of 2022. <laughs> uh, so I, um, yeah, I mean, if Taysom Hill is somehow the starting quarterback on Thursday, then never mind, forget everything I said. But yeah, uh, the, I mean, the only other thing or the only other thought I have on this situation is I, I don't know if you saw this, Eric, but Tom Brady during the cam rate being stretchered off was like not in the huddle with his team he was like off to the side throwing like in in the most just brazen display of of not acting like a human i just i i have no idea of what to to make of that really yeah there's been some weird stuff with brady wasn't he at um i think was it robert Kraft's wedding it was like friday night or something it's like that's not old school tom brady he's uh he's not getting away from his playbook uh, you know, probably Tuesday through Sunday. So this is a, a weird departure for Brady. I'm not sure if he's just salty they didn't get to go to the Dolphins or he's counting down the days for his lucrative uh, TV career or what. But this is definitely a strange Tom Brady. But as far as Cameron Braid and Kate Otten, like Kate Otten played 94% of the snaps in week five when Braid was out. Uh, even last week, um, Otten still saw 56% of the snaps with Braid playing, you know, about half the game or whatever. So uh, they sure look like they're willing to go right back to Otten when they need to. Uh, so we'll get to him more streamers, but he's in a really good spot. Yeah, sorry. I, w- I was so excited to make weird personal attacks against Tom Brady <laughs> that I, I forgot to actually tout Kate Otten and, and give you some actual stats. But yes, Kate Otten it has just been running all of the routes when Brady's not been in the picture. So yeah, on a team like the Bucks, where they're at the top of the league and pass rate over expected, that puts him in the tight end one conversation. Yeah. As a uh, a non-Patriots fan, I have uh, been wrong on the demise of Tom Brady too many times, so I will withhold all comments until about week 15. I don't know. It's going to take a while for me, Ryan. So, okay. Next up, uh, we usually don't do a lot of speculation here, but um, I think it's too fun to pass this up. There's been a lot of Christian McCaffrey trade rumors this week. Before we get to some possible destinations, like 
on a scale of one to 10, is there any concern for you when it comes to Christian McCaffrey changing teams? Like, I think there are a lot of running backs in this league that if they got traded, we would be like, well, I'm going to have to see what situation they fall into. But like, is there any concern with Christian McCaffrey? He's just a, he's such a unique talent in this league. I'm not sure that we should be worried wherever he ends up. I mean, the difference here would be if McCaffrey gets traded, it's because the Panthers are actively trying to offload talent. Whereas you generally, when a player gets traded midseason, <laughs> Robbie Anderson, it's because <laughs> of something negative that has happened. It's because th- this is like they really need some new scenery. In yeah. this scenario, it would be a team going out of their way to go and get Christian McCaffrey, um, which I, I mean, the more I say that, the more I talk myself out of this actually being a possibility. I, I don't know that any team should be going out and trading significant draft capital for a running back on a contract like that. Um, but I, the Panthers apparently expect at least two first round picks, uh, which is, which I would love to get for Christian McCaffrey in a few dynasty leagues right now. Um, but yeah, no, it all a long way of saying wherever McCaffrey goes, he's going to be featured pretty much immediately. I can't imagine a team goes out and trades for him just to not give him like the Christian McCaffrey bell cow role that we're used to. Um, but yeah. Twitter would be pretty ugly if that did happen. Now now I'm a- almost rooting for it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, on the concern scale, I'm about a three. I think he could go just about anywhere. My only concern would be if he went to a just a weak contender and wanted to kind of keep him fresh for the playoffs. But I, I'm not sure that would matter because let's look at these teams that are rumored to be in on Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the names that have come up have been the San Francisco 49ers, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Buffalo Bills. So Rank those spots for me. Which one would you want him to see play for first if you're a fantasy manager of Christian McCaffrey and then last? Like, what's your order here? I mean, I think you just have to rank them based on, number one, how much they throw, and then number two, how functional the offense is, right? So I I guess my ranking is Bills very clearly at the top because it's – I, I don't think any running back on this team is threatening McCaffrey for touch on any of these teams is threatening McCaffrey for touches. So it, no. yeah, it's just about offensive environment. So bills would be at the top for me. Uh, the Rams and 49ers is tough because the, the Rams will at least throw, but that offense has not been functional, but we know that Stafford will funnel quick dump off targets. I mean, can we imagine McCaffrey just getting all those Tyler Higby checkdowns like that? <laughs> that might be pretty nice uh, get, getting 10 targets a game for Christian McCaffrey. So yeah, I would rank it bills, then Rams, then 49ers, but it's, it's not like I would be complaining if he was on the 49ers. Yeah. I've got the same order. I, I thought about hot take putting the Rams first. Uh, I do agree with you. Like I could see him just getting funneled targets. I mean, we've seen him do it with Cooper cup. We've seen him do it with Todd Gurley in the past. Like I would not be surprised if he was seeing 12 targets the, the moment he stepped on the field for the Rams. So uh, but I would still take the bills. That's just such a juggernaut offense. So the 49ers would be an interesting discussion because like it's such a ground-based team and they've got Debo there. They're going to have Elijah Mitchell back. Like obviously McCaffrey's better than Mitchell, but it'd be a little interesting of a situation if McCaffrey went to San Francisco. Like we don't necessarily want him running 20 times a game. We want him running 10 times a game with, with 10 targets. So I don't know. I think that would be the one I'd be most concerned with would be the 49ers, but I also don't see why the 49ers would really trade for him. So I kind of see them as the least, least likely as well. Can you imagine Christian McCaffrey, like in the Kyle Shanahan doghouse right now? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what's wrong with my brain tonight. I'm, I'm just trying to put the most negative possible spin 
on every single one of these situations. I The sickos would be having qu- quite the time if Christian McCaffrey were getting benched in favor of Elijah Mitchell because Shanahan thinks he like hits the hole harder or something. I Yeah, I don't even know. But I mean, yeah, like that, that running scheme in San Francisco is kind of unlike a lot of other ones around the league. Like I, I would think that Shanahan and the coaching staff would be pretty picky about the exact type of player that they want to fit into that zone running scheme. I, I mean, I, I have a hard time believing they'd be like, no, Christian McCaffrey, we don't like, we don't want you, but yeah, that uh, there, there is like actual downside in San Fran. The more I'm talking myself into this. Yeah. But as far as McCaffrey goes, he has um, played a lot of snaps this year, like usual. Like if you look at his oppo share, like he is the entire Panthers offense. Like it would be really nice to get him at a functioning offense because he seems to be pretty close to the old McCaffrey. So fingers crossed. I, I do think this is a trade worth uh, worth hoping for. So, okay, next up, some more positive news here. It looks like uh, Tua Tungavailoa and Dak Prescott are going to be starting this week. Dak has been medically cleared to start. Uh, He plays the Lions. That is awesome. Great intro for for Dak to return. And then Tua has cleared the concussion protocol. He cleared on Saturday, so he's expected to start. So uh, I think we weathered the storm on these offenses, especially Dallas. Um, Are you generally like full steam ahead on these passing games? Is is this just going to drag everyone upwards or do we need to see these quarterbacks shake off some rust? So I'll put it this way. I have Dak ranked as the QB five this week and Tua ranked as the QB seven. Uh, I mean, both of those teams have really high implied totals in a week where there aren't a whole lot of those. So I almost felt forced to just rank both of them as surefire QB ones in their first games back. But I, I am of two minds on this one, especially Dak. Like I, I just know the Cowboys would love, love to feed Ezekiel Elliott 30 carries against the Lions, and it is probably going to happen. But at the same time, I just can't justify getting Dak any lower. Like, am I going to rank Kyler Murray or Derek Carr over him? Like, that that doesn't feel good to me at all. So, that yeah, I mean, hopefully the Cowboys will air it out a little bit. That would be nice, but it's... It, yeah. it could be tough here, but I, I mean, as for the receivers, yeah, I mean, their arrows are pointing up very obviously. I see lamb has been just commanding an insane amount of target volume, not doing a whole lot with it. Now it's been one of the least efficient receivers in, in the league this year for the amount of volume he's gotten. Uh, but I mean, you would hope that that corrects itself when we get some competent quarterback play. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone on Dallas you're starting this week. Uh, just anyone you can manage uh, with with rosters this week, get them in your lineup. I, I would say, I mean, Tua is a little more of a concern just because uh, a big shot and maybe we're, you know, he's back on the sidelines again. Uh, the concussion stuff's always tough to tell how much we could should be concerned week to week on, but uh, it's certainly going to help those pass catchers there. Uh, Pittsburgh has given up some passing yards this year. So, um, yeah. Feeling pretty good about that Miami offense. Excited to see if they can pick up where they left off because that was a really fun offense to watch there. So speaking of fun offenses, Ryan, um, it's it's time for the state of the Broncos here. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. So I want to start out with Russell Wilson. It looked like for a minute there on Wednesday that he was set to miss a whole bunch of time. Um, he was limited in practice, though, with the strained hamstring. I guess it's not as bad as they thought. He also has a shoulder strain. But uh, Russell Wilson said, I guess he re- recovered from this injury quicker than he thought. He said that he has Wolverine blood, Ryan. So uh, now that you know that Russell Wilson has Wolverine blood, 
like this seems like one of those things that uh, I don't know if like Aaron Donald had said it, it sounded a lot cooler. But when it comes from Russell Wilson, you're like, oh my gosh, like what are, what are we doing here? So Wolverine blood, Russell Wilson. What do you think, Ryan? Are we just giving up on this passing game? I'm realizing that I'm really ignorant on pop culture stuff. Does Wolverine have to sleep? Because isn't that Russell Wilson's thing where he he says that instead of sleeping, he just rehabs his finger all night and sleeps two hours a night. Wasn't that what we were hearing over the off season? Like I, I would think a Wolverine would need to sleep in order to like have those healing abilities. Right. Like that, that makes sense. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not really a superhero person. I don't, I don't know anything about this. So you, you might have to fill me in here, Eric. Am I, uh, am I completely off base? We may be two of the only people in the country right now that are not into superhero movies. So a uh, quick Google tells me that, uh, the, the Wolverine's blood is a medical miracle. So I'm not going to read much farther than that, but apparently it's got some healing <laughs> powers. So, um, whatever Russ is doing, it looks like he's going to play this week. I, but I think the real question is, what does he have to offer? I mean, he, he looked so bad on Thursday night football. Like I know I give people the benefit of the doubt on Thursday night. Those games can be off kilter, but anytime they got into third and long, like he almost looked like he forgot how to play football. Like he was taking sacks that were just abysmal. And I just, I am avoiding this offense personally. Maybe you can talk yourself into some running backs. Cortland Sutton's getting a ton of volume, but like I just haven't seen anything from Wilson that's encouraging and add in another injury. I, I think this passing game's a stay away, but again, I mean, Sutton gets so much volume. We probably have to keep playing him. I receivers so bad this week that I have Sutton and Judy, both as top 24 options. Um, yeah. It's, and I don't feel good about it, but I, you think that at least one of them can probably get there. I don't, I don't think it's going to be both, but yeah, it, it's pretty rough with this offense. Um, I, I can't believe we just exposed ourselves so badly of not just not knowing anything about any sort of pop culture. Like people ask why we like stick to football so aggressively on this show. This is why, because we, we don't have any, anything else interesting to say apparently. Oh yeah. It's all nineties uh, movies references for me. And it's, it's pretty bad. So uh, fantasy football has consumed our lives. Uh, so yeah, sorry for not being uh, with it on anything currently. So but no, I don't think I would have gotten into, into um, I don't know, superhero movies. That was never my thing anyway. So I, I think that that Spider-Man movie with, um, oh God, I can't even remember his name. Never mind. Let's move on here because that was a bad one. <laughs> I, I left the superhero movies after that one. So, all right, let's get to Melvin Gordon here. Full practice on Wednesday. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett had a talk with him, I guess, Ryan. Fill us in on this talk that the Melvin Gordon and Nathaniel Hackett had. So th- there was all this speculation, uh, dirt, both during the game Monday night and in the hours after that Melvin Gordon had been benched. He was standing on the sideline for most of the game said after the game that he was feeling fine and that he could have played. So the rumors are swirling. Did we all just watch Melvin Gordon get benched for Latavius Murray? And then Nathaniel Hackett comes out today and says me and Melvin Gordon had a really good talk and now he's going to be starting. So I, (laughs) What as far as what was said here, I I guess we can only speculate. Like, I just I've I've been on a few teams in my life, never never an NFL team, but there's not that many things I can think to say to a coach that is going to make him change his mind about starting me. And my I mean my highest experience is in high school sports, so I, I you wouldn't think that Melvin Gordon could change an NFL coach's mind either. 
So I, I'm just really, I'm really confused about this entire story. Yeah. So last week on Thursday Night Football, Latavius Murray, 47% of the snaps, Mike Boone, 36%, Melvin Gordon, 16%. Latavius Murray had a, a rush share of 65. Like it, he was getting fed the ball. Maybe they just realized that Latavius Murray isn't good and that they maybe should go back to Melvin Gordon. Not that he's been great, but uh, he was kind of competing with Javante Williams for a while. So that's all I can figure here. Otherwise, like Mike Boone had a 16% target share, but the the passing volume was so bad that I don't even know if you can get that excited. So like, I think we're hanging on to Melvin Gordon. We're hoping he regains this role. Is Latavius Murray, Mike Boone and this offense, are they like a bench stash? Should they be thrown back to waivers? Like what do we do with these? Cause I, I bet a lot of people are sitting there just wanting to get rid of Latavius Murray. I mean, it just, if, if Melvin Gordon's going to jump him after one week, then what's the point? Yeah, I mean, people were people picked up Latavius Murray this week. People spent fab on on yeah. this man. Um, I would say for Boone that you can just kind of cut him. Like it, it seems like his role is fairly capped. If it's going to be Gordon and Murray mostly on early downs, uh, Murray, I guess you can hold and see if Gordon just loses his job again inexplicably. But that, I mean, what are you getting then? Like you're 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 still getting like maybe a weekly rb3 on a bad offense like it's it's just tough like yeah i i think there are players i would rather have on my roster than latavius murray right now i the whole point of picking him up was like oh maybe i'm desperate and i need to start him this week but it sounds like that's not the case anymore that we can't we can't plan to do that so yeah, yeah i i have no problem cutting either boone or murray at this point yeah i mean Jets this week isn't as good of a matchup as it would have been in past years. Uh, Their defense has been pretty good. They do get the Jaguars the week after that, but then it's a bye. So, yeah, I would look look real hard at these next two weeks, and if you are not going to start Latavius Murray or Mike Boone, just move on because um, I I can't imagine you're going to hold these guys three weeks and get something out of them down the line, but we will see. So, overall, sounds like uh, Broncos, we're just waiting on Russell Wilson to to heal up here. We've got to see at least, like, 75% 75% of what he looked like in the past because uh, it's it's really bad right now. So, okay, let's get on to a little quick segment here on uh, implied totals. Um, Ryan, you could probably explain this better than I could, but uh, essentially take the over-under from Vegas, uh, take the spread. You can figure out how much uh, how many points each team are implied for. Uh, Rich Rebar, at Lord Reeves on Twitter. If you don't follow him, he's one of, the, one of the all-time greats in the fantasy industry. But he was looking at the number of times that a team has hit their implied total so far this year. Uh, there were a few interesting takeaways here, Ryan. So what were some that stood out to you? Yeah, so, I mean, on the offensive side, uh, a couple jump out. So the Jaguars have hit their implied total five times so far this year. That's the most in the league. So what that means is that the Jaguars offense has exceeded the expectations of the betting market, essentially. They have been better in every single week than we collectively as a public expected them to be. Uh, So some other teams that have been doing this a lot uh, includes the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, So when I think I actually have mentioned this on this podcast before, but Arthur Smith is just getting validated with all of his behavior. He's, 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 he is exceeding expectations and that that's what matters in the betting market. Um, Some other teams that have hit their, total uh a lot are the new england patriots uh low expectations there but bailey zappy has been outperforming them so that that's worth noting 
the Lions four times, Cleveland four times. I, I think a lot of that has been they've had to be more aggressive offensively than they, you might have expected them to want to play. Um, so any, anything else jumping out to you here, Eric, maybe, maybe with teams that have been underperforming what the market thought they would do? Yeah, well, quickly, you'd kind of mentioned it, I think, before the show, but um, a lot of those teams that have hit their implied total a lot are rush-heavy teams. Um, not so much Jacksonville, but Patriots, Jets, Falcons, Saints, uh, Browns, and Lions. Those They've all hit their implied total four times. So I, I think we're probably uh, two down on these run-heavy teams. Uh, I think that's probably the takeaway there is that these teams have been efficient running the ball, and uh, we may not love it from a fantasy perspective all the time, but uh, they are putting up points, so don't sleep on them just because they're running the ball a lot. Uh, but yeah, for the there, there's a group of five teams here that have only hit their implied total once. It's the names you would expect. Denver, Indianapolis, the Rams, uh, the Dolphins, and Tampa Bay. I think the Rams and Tampa Bay, we have really just stubbornly clung to here that they're going to turn it around. Uh, most of us have given up on the Rams, but... I'm still stubbornly clinging to the Buccaneers here. I know we already talked about it a little bit, but I just, I can't imagine that this doesn't improve. But so far, uh, we have been wrong on them almost every week. So those are the teams that we keep overrating and they keep disappointing us every week. And that sounds 100% accurate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so on, on the run heavy thing, there, there's two ways you can go about that. Or, and I think both are probably valid. So yes, teams that have been run heavy have been exceeding Vegas's expectations what that tells me is that that is why football has felt really painful with with all of these offenses this year because yep. apparently the more efficient offenses are the ones that are splitting their backfield between two or three guys and just establishing um but the other possible takeaway you could say is well yeah of course the teams that are outperforming their totals are running a lot they're the teams that are winning and that are in positive game scripts so it yep. just from looking at this it's a little hard to tease out those effects i think but yeah yeah definitely interesting to think about um and on the box yeah it, it's just hard to say that tom brady won't turn it around we've seen it plenty of times i will say i don't ever expect the bucks to get their run game figured out like the <laughs> leonard fournette for one yard up the gut is just kind of what this is and then he'll make it up in the passing game kind of as we expect but yep. yeah just at as an offense, like from a real NFL football perspective, like the, the Bucs have, have not been balanced as they, as the football guys say. Yeah. All right. And then uh, Rich Rebar also looked at the number of times that a team has allowed their opponent to hit the implied total um, leading the way five times in six games, Cleveland and new Orleans. I think that checks out because we thought these defenses were going to be pretty good coming into the season. Browns have a really good pass rush. The Saints have been locked in week uh, yearly as a top defense, and both of these teams have been really bad this year. I mean, especially Cleveland. They've been getting torched. So uh, not a lot of takeaways there, Ryan. It's just that um, it, we need to make sure we're adapting our expectations for these defenses, and clearly Cleveland and New Orleans are not the defenses we thought they were going to be. Yeah, it's important to remember that defensive performance is very not sticky year over year. Like we say this every offseason that this is why you shouldn't be drafting defenses in fantasy before the final round because we we're just bad at projecting which ones are going to be good. Like he, 
even if you're even if you're looking at sources like PFF and like their secondary rankings that we would lean on pretty heavily early in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I mean like Baltimore was ranked as one of the top secondaries entering the year. That that has not borne out. Like there there's a lot of just variance with these defenses, and we we just haven't figured it out as well, especially from like a numbers perspective as we have offenses. Yep. I mean, the Rams show up as um, they've allowed four opponents out of six to hit their implied total. That's another good defense, Los Angeles. So uh, the other side of the spectrum, though, Buffalo Bills, as advertised, um, no opponents have hit the implied total against the Bills. So I guess that just means that I think a lot of times we talk ourselves into the shootouts with the Bills, but their defense is so good that like maybe we're not even getting the other team drug along with the Bills. It's just they're just a juggernaut right now. And uh, yeah, there's no reason they are not the Super Bowl favorite at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's looking at that says to me, maybe I just need to stop bringing back any players against the Bills and DFS because, it, yeah, if their defense is that dominant and it's not like most of these teams are implied that many points against the Bills to begin with, like that they, they're usually pretty heavy favorites. So unless it's actually a really good offense with really good players that I actually want to play against the Bills, then I, yeah, I'm just... I, yeah, I can't talk myself into the negative game script garbage time magic because garbage time against the Bills is like the entire fourth quarter and <laughs> all of the, the skill position starters sit on the sideline. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Otherwise, like I did think it was notable that the Cardinals defense shows up. They've only allowed one team to hit their implied total. We kind of rip on the Cardinals. They've been kind of a mess all over the place, but their defense is still pretty solid. So give them a little shout out there. Any other teams, good or bad, show up uh, defensively, like stand out for you here? Yeah, I mean, Dallas uh, and the New York football giants have both only allowed one team to hit their implied total. So I, I think that just is more prior confirming of both of these teams kind of want to drag games into the mud. Yeah. Uh, maybe that changes with Dak Prescott. I, I kind of doubt it, unfortunately. But yeah, the, so just offensive environments that involve those teams, I, I'm just going to be a little skeptical of moving forward. Yeah, it only took me about three weeks of playing uh, both sides of Arizona games and DFS for me to learn that lesson. So I've definitely moved on from that. So, yeah, otherwise, just, yeah, follow at Lord Reeves on Twitter if you want to see this full list. It's really interesting to look at it this way. And we'll try to keep finding some uh, nuggets like this week to week just so we can keep tabs on the good offenses, the bad defenses, whichever way you want to look at it. So let's get on to the running back position. It's just a joy to rank them this week, Ryan. So um, I'm going to let you walk through my ranks let me know what questions you have because like i mentioned up top uh, ezekiel elliott at rb15 tells you all you need to know about this week yeah let's start as we often do with the ravens eric i picked up Kenyon drake in more leagues than i care to admit this week and really spent more fab than i care to admit on a player like Kenyon drake so what what is going on with this backfield? Can I, can I start him this week? Like I, I am just at, at a loss of what to do here. I, I don't know why I went out and aggressively <laughs> targeted Drake on the waiver wire. Well, because they are playing the Browns. Uh, the Browns have allowed the most fantasy points to opposing running backs in PPR leagues. So that's a, a good start. Um, 710 rushing yards, 5.5 yards of carry, eight touchdowns. Like this defense has been bad. We've mentioned it a couple times already. Uh, Drake looked good last week, uh, 119 yards rushing on 10 carries. 
Uh, but mainly, I mean, it's the status of J.K. Dobbins. It's still a little mysterious. He did not practice Wednesday. All they're really saying is that uh, Dobbins' knee tightened up last week, and that's why he sat, which is not what you want to hear coming off ACL, LCL injury. So I, I think Dobbins' status is really in question. Now, it could get a little more jumbled going forward, even if Dobbins misses some time. We see Justice Hill back as a full participant, which kind of surprised me. I thought he was going to be out for a while. There's been rumblings about Gus Edwards getting ready to come back. So it's just this opportunity for this week for the most part. I think we we would definitely start Kenyon Drake if this clears out for him against the Browns. He could certainly still let us down. I mean, this this Baltimore backfield has let us down so many times over the past couple of years. So it's by no means a sure thing. But uh, if he's the clear starter in this game, there are going to be a lot of rosters that could use starting him. I will point out next two weeks, uh, Tampa Bay and New Orleans on the road and then a bye week. So this is probably your week, Ryan. So I, I would just say if Dobbins is out, start Kenyon Drake, and we'll see how the rest of this backfield develops going forward. Yeah, I so I have to admit, Eric, when I was at work today and I got the sleeper notification that Justice Hill's status has changed to healthy, I might have jumped out of my desk with excitement. Um, I I might need to go make some adjustments to some rosters and add, add Justice Hill instead of Kenyon Drake. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, your guess is better than mine on who is going to see the volume this week. I, yeah, I would think you lean Drake just because he's not coming off an injury and he just did. If Dobbins plays, like what what snap share would he max out at? Like 40, 50%? Like it, it's not like he's been dominating the backfield touches in the last month, even when he's supposedly been healthy. So I, yeah, yeah I, I mean, even if Dobbins is active, I am kind of interested in Drake maybe. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you can sneak... Drake probably into the top 30 regardless, unless we get some real encouraging news on Dobbins. If if it's just Drake and Dobbins is out, like, I mean, I've got Tyler Algier up at RB23. The Bengals defense is uh, looking worse and worse by the week because of injuries against the run. Uh, Raheem Mostert at RB24 against Pittsburgh. I, I think that's the range that you can start thinking of Kenyon Drake in. I still think I'd rather play Tony Pollard at 25 over him. We'll get to him later, but that's when you start considering him. It's in that mid twenties range at running back. And uh, yeah, that, that means he he deserves to be on your roster and he's going to be starting for a lot of lineups. So it's, it's Lamar Jackson's always there to steal the carries. I'm not sure how big his ceiling is. I, I think his ceiling probably looks like what it did last week, Kenyon Drake, but we'll, we'll take that at this point in the season. All right, let's talk cults. Uh, so on a few of my rosters, I did luck into Deion Jackson, just picking him up Sunday morning. Uh, I What are we doing here? Like, it, can we expect Deion Jackson to continue having a role uh, when Taylor and Hines are potentially coming back? And I mean, if not, well, then what, what are we doing with this backfield in the short term? Yeah, it's an interesting discussion because, I mean, we've seen Deion Jackson catch all 14 of his targets the last two weeks. He's also 25 combined carries the last two weeks. Like, I, I the versatility is what gives me hope for Jackson because he just needs a setback from one of these players ahead of him to have some relevance. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was a full practice on Wednesday. Naeem Hines was a full practice. But, you know, if Taylor gets twisted the wrong way or Hines takes another hit, like, maybe they miss some more time. So, I would be tempted to hold on to Deion Jackson at least for one more week and let's see Taylor and Hines come out of this game unscathed. Um, we've talked about it on past podcasts. Like it's still kind of mysterious how bad Jonathan Taylor's ankle injury really was. But if it's really a high ankle sprain, he 
this could be a slow ramp back up to old Jonathan Taylor. And they're, they're going to need some explosion in this offense. It's, it's been a slog on offense. So I, I think there's a role for Deion Jackson, but after one week, if Taylor and Hines are healthy, then I think we go ahead and cut them. So hold for a week. That's where I'm at. Um, and yeah, I, I do think there's still some upside with Deion Jackson. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm I'm really interested whether Jackson plays it all over Hines. Like that that might be like a realistic expectation is that he might be competing for that role, which had, had, to be clear has not been that great while Taylor's been healthy this year. But it, I you would usually expect these teams to show veteran deference in situations like these, but. I'll admit I was very lazy this weekend and didn't even really research Deion Jackson much at all until after he went off. I, I opened his player profiler page. This guy's athletic. He's like got like stereotypical bell cow size and speed, multiple 20 reception game or 20 reception years when he was in college. This is one of the better undrafted free agent profiles that I've seen at a glance. So I, I wouldn't be that surprised if Deion Jackson is just, kind of good yeah yeah I, I would definitely hold on to him for now so it i mean naheem hines is odd because they talk him up so much and then they never use him <laughs> i don't know if that means that jackson could overtake him or if it's like no they love naeem hines it's his role when he's healthy so yeah i would definitely wait another week or two let's see how this develops because even when matt ryan is throwing what like 60 times or whatever he's been doing he's, he's hitting the running backs a lot so there's definitely value here in indianapolis yeah, still waiting on those Naheem Hines slot snaps. Uh, we're we're all, we're also waiting on some slot snaps for DeAndre Swift. I I think that was I'm sure that was a rumor this summer. I don't remember specifically, but I can say that and just assume it was said at one point. Yeah, looking at the Lions coming off this bye, what what are we doing with DeAndre Swift? Who I mean, the plan has been for him to sit out through the bye and play afterwards. So I. Can I expect to just plug him back in as an RB1 again this week? I've got quite a few rosters that are praying that we can. So um, DeAndre Swift himself said that he's pushing towards playing. Like you said, this seemed to be the plan the whole time to get him back this week. What's encouraging for Swift is that we've seen him. It may have been a bit big play dependent, a little fluky, but we've seen him produce on limited snap shares. So he is one where if he came back and played 40% of the snaps, we might still have something just because it was passing game role. So yeah, I'm, I'm starting him. If he's in the lineup, I'm not going to think twice about it. If it burns me, it burns me. I know it's, it's a tough matchup against Dallas, but uh, they, I, I do think they need him in this offense and I would expect him to get the ball, good offensive line, all that stuff. So I, I think the question is, can we start Jamal Williams if DeAndre Swift plays? And I would, pretty emphatically say yes. I mean, Jamal Jamal Williams has been good all year. I know he kind of threw a dud out there before the bye week without DeAndre Swift, but um, I would be playing Jamal Williams kind of regardless this week. I mean, unless you have a really good running back group, obviously, but uh, if you need Jamal Williams in your lineup, I would get him in there because I would not expect them to want Goff to just drop back 50 times in Dallas. So I would expect the run game to be pretty involved here for the Lions. Yeah, I think Jamal Williams is going to see early down and goal line work basically yeah. no matter what. Like that that's whether Swift is in or out. It seems like his role doesn't actually change that much. Yeah. Uh as for Swift, yeah, as you alluded to, um what was has been very efficient in limited action this year. Uh he has outperformed his oppo per game by 5.8 fantasy points per game. So like one of the most efficient running backs in a small sample th- this entire season. So 
And, and I mean, yes, DeAndre Swift is a player that should be outperforming Oppo, but he's I, definitely worth keeping in mind that his workload thus far has not really been RB1 level. Um, but I, I don't know. I do worry about the Lions against the Cowboys. Like my take on Jared Goff after watching him implode against the Patriots was he just can't handle pressure. Mm-hmm. And I, I would think Micah Parsons could provide some of that against. Yeah. I, I just don't, as I said, these Dallas games, like they are just want to drag them into the mud so badly. So I, yeah, I'm a little worried about just the touchdown equity for Jamal Williams and, or of the lions offense in general. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads us to our next conversation this week. We're really faced with, the decision of would you prefer the upside of like a backup player, quote unquote backup, like Tony Pollard or even a Jamal Williams or Swift, if you don't think he's going to see a big workload, like would you prefer some of those guys with upside, maybe more in the 40% snap range? Or are we going with like these higher volume, but less exciting players like Raheem Mostert or Tyler Algier who are lead backs in their offense, but have not produced huge fancy numbers that that's really what we're running into this week in the rankings it goes from about i man you could probably argue as high as rb 18 but if from about rb 18 to like rb 30 that's the decision this week it's like would you rather chase some of this efficiency and less touches or these boring like you know 18 carry games with two catches and it's it's a tough decision this week i don't know if you have any just big picture thoughts or specific to like tony pollard but i kept finding myself moving tony pollard up the ranks against the lions I know he's a little boom bust, but uh, that boom possibility against the Lions for him makes me want to start him over a lot of quote unquote lead backs in the NFL. Yeah, I in situations like this week where we have relatively less players that project well, where we don't think there's going to be that many like strong performances, I I'm inclined to chase the Tony Pollard types that could have like bigger upside, a longer tail, because if they hit that, it's giving you way more leverage again, sort of against the field, almost thinking of this in like a DFS sort of way. Mm-hmm. If your opponent, it doesn't have the like RB one bell cow in their lineup and you hit like an 80 yard touchdown with Tony Pollard, like that, that's even more of an advantage than it normally would be. That, so I yeah I just think because the playing field is is so low that it makes those guys that, that can hit a home run just much more enticing than they normally would be. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you I'm sure everyone's noticed looking at box scores this year, like there are some games you win or lose where it's like there were two players that made the your team score the opposing team score the rest of the players it's it, both teams have about the same production from their wide receiver three it's just that that breakout player so i agree with you we should be chasing ceiling in these situations uh, it kind of leads me to like why i'm not real high on brian robinson uh for the washington commanders like it's a three-way split in that backfield he scored 12 ppr points last week with a touchdown like i, I think that's kind of what we're looking at with robinson no targets uh, they've already kind of talked about they want to get Antonio Gibson more touches this week, which is hilarious. So we got a full three-way split there. He's not a pass catcher. So yeah, like in situations like that, I would rather go for Tony Pollard and chase some upside. Yeah, I'm I'm a little entertained that we've kind of come full circle with <laughs> Antonio Gibson in the commander's backfield. It you can almost tell that 
all of the Brian Robinson people just were not on the Antonio Gibson experience last season yeah. uh, because that, that just jaded me so much against this backfield where or any backfield that has JD McKissick in it, just vacuuming up all of the valuable like two minute drill opportunities. So yeah, yeah that not, not that bullish on Brian Robinson. What, what happens in weeks? He doesn't score a touchdown guys. It's, it's not like the commanders are, going to be favored that often or get like going to be seeing all of this positive game script. So yeah, I clear pretty clear sell to me if anybody is excited about him as a talent. Yep. I would agree. Okay. Let's get into wide receiver and your rankings, Ryan, you might get off a little easy this week because it feels like wide receiver just goes from players. We're excited to play to like Zay Jones in no time. You know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of like you play the good players and, hope for the best with the rest of these guys. So who, who comes to mind right away that you want to talk about a wide receiver? Yeah. Wide receiver is very weird. It, it, it as you said, it, it goes from like, yeah, let's do it to, Oh God, like <laughs> extremely, extremely quickly to, to the point where I didn't even want to spend time at the top of the rankings this week. Like I, I, yeah. I still do, I still do it for the accuracy competition since that's, that's what we really care about here on this podcast. <laughs> right. But yeah, it just, just was, didn't, really feel worth thinking that much until we got a little deeper uh so the first guy i want to talk about is wandel robinson i i have him ranked just obscenely high this week he's my wide receiver 35 uh playing the jaguars last week wandel robinson in his first game off injury ran 11 of 32 possible routes so he was limited kind of as we expected heading heading into the game but he made the most of that limited playing time a 32 percent targets per route run that those are like the numbers that Traylon Burks was putting up on like 11 routes in the first couple of weeks and we were getting excited oh, obviously man. that kind of got derailed um but it sort sort of a similar thesis of we know this guy has the second round draft capital. Uh, Wandale was at least a week one starter. Traylon Burks can't say that. Yeah. Uh, the, both of them had crazy production in the SEC. Uh, that I just can't think of any possible difference between Wandale Robinson and Traylon Burks. Uh, just, I, I've never I've never seen either of them side by side, but I'm sure <laughs> they're spitting images of each other. Um, but th- this is really just a situation where it, Wandale Robinson feels like he's just clearly the most talented pass catcher on this team by a wide margin. Uh, Even with him only running 11 routes, the only giant that had more targets than him was Daniel Bellinger, the rookie tight end. And Bellinger ran basically twice the routes and only had one more target. So if we can, I would assume that Wandale is going to play full time this week. There were no setbacks. So yeah, I, I'm excited to fire him up as a wide receiver three or as a flex. Uh, he And he's someone that you could get off waivers this week too. Highly recommend. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that coaching staff could be any more obvious their intentions or their thoughts on Wandale Robinson. I mean, they've been clear all offseason that uh, he's their favorite receiver, especially with the injuries now with Sterling Shepard out and everyone. But um, yeah, it, it seems clear to me that he's the focal point of this passing game once he gets on the field and – I would expect it to ramp up. So honestly, wide receiver 35, you could get him a little higher. I mean, he's in this group of like, you know, Terry McLaurin, Drake London, Alec Pierce, Romeo Dobbs. Uh, It's hilarious that you have one spot ahead of DJ Moore and I can't really push back on that. Like it's uh, it's a group that's pretty fluid. So you could rank him wide receiver 
28 and I wouldn't even push back too much, Ryan. Like it's, it's uh it's a spot where he can move up real quickly. And if he's for some reason on waivers, uh, go get him. Yeah. He, Wando Robinson's expert consensus ranking was like in the fifties this yep. week. I, I assume it's going to increase because I, I would think the drum beat would start a little bit more, but yeah, I it's just, I, I almost am scared. I'm missing something like I, why, why am I so out over my skis on Wando Robinson? But I, I guess that's nothing new for me this season. So we're, we're going <laughs> to ride with it. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I, I clicked on him, it was ECR uh, wide receiver 50 on fantasy pros. I clicked back and it's up to 48. So it is going up as we speak. So, Oh, we're pushing it up. Look yeah. at us. We're, we're steaming Wondell Robinson right now. That's gotta be us on this podcast that nobody has heard yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. So matchup against the Jaguars. That certainly seems appealing. Um, yeah. Start Wondell Robinson if you need to. So, all right. Next up, Garrett Wilson. We've kind of forgotten about this Jets receiving core. It's probably worth taking another peek here and, and see what's going on with Zach Wilson at quarterback. I was actually going to say it's worth forgetting about. <laughs> um, so I have Garrett Wilson at wide receiver 39 against the Broncos this week. Uh, he He's just outside of like my startable tier. So would look for better options if possible. I just wanted to check in on the Jets because we talked earlier in the season about how they were by far leading the league in dropbacks and pass attempts. And the passing volume was insane through two or three weeks with Joe Flacco. Uh, now, now the jets have the 11th lowest pass rate over expected on the season. Uh, if you do, do a split for just with Zach Wilson, it would be even lower. I would imagine bottom five. Yeah. So there, there just isn't, any volume to be had for these pass catchers um it has only taken Brees hall this amount of time to surpass garrett wilson as the team leader in oppo per game Brees hall's averaging 16 oppo right now to wilson's 14.2 wilson hasn't even sniffed a number like that in the last couple weeks either it there just isn't anything here for these jets pass catchers like i don't even want to think or talk about Elijah Moore. Uh, quick aside, I put down a decent amount of money on an Elijah Moore rookie card right before week one. And I was really excited to like post it on Twitter and gloat and victory lap in that way. So I didn't, I didn't post it before when I bought it, I was like, okay, I'm going to wait for him to go out and have a great week one. And then I'm going to post it and like show everybody how cool I am that way. And then after week one, I'm like, okay, I'll wait for week two. I'm like, he's going to, he's going to blow up. This is it. And yeah, that's, that's going very well for me. Nobody's ever going to see this Elijah Moore rookie card except for my closet, I guess. Ryan, you're, you're not watching superhero movies. You're buying physical sports cards. Like you should be buying NFTs. I don't know. uh, No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. That's a tough scene for Elijah Moore. I still have hope long-term, but uh, we're going to need to see this turnaround. Um, Tough matchup against the Broncos. Yeah. I, I think anyone in the Jets passing game, even Tyler Conklin, I can, Go back to your bench for the most part. Yeah, and here's, before I got sidetracked, here's the thing <laughs> about this game script. There's only a half point spread right now. I don't know how much of that is influenced by Vegas not being sure if Russell Wilson's going to play, but either way, I would not expect the Broncos to get out to a commanding lead here and force the Jets into a negative game script. So I would expect them to just run the entire day. 
even if we do get a Zach Wilson negative game script, are, are we really excited for that? Like the, the Broncos are the third toughest matchup for opposing wide receivers in fantasy right now. I, I, I don't think we want Zach Wilson dropping back 40 times against this Broncos secondary. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the Jets defense pegged as a potential streamer this week at Denver. I think, I think that tells you about all you need to know. So it's, rough scenes for the Jets passing offense, but they're winning. Again, we keep coming back to this with some of these running games. They are winning. So it's kind of hard to fault them too much for uh, giving Brees Hall the ball. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's move on to another player that you specially requested I talk about, which is Rashad Bateman. So he's actually just inside of my startable tier. I have him as the wide receiver 38 against the Browns. Uh, So as we just talked about, the Browns have let opposing offenses hit their implied total in five games so far this year. The Ravens have one of the better implied totals on the week of 25.75. So could be some scoring in this one. I I mean, really with Bateman, like the, the question is just how healthy will he be and how productive can we expect him to be uh, coming off the injury? So I saw a, report from Edwin Porras uh, at FB injury doc on Twitter. He does awesome breakdowns on situations like these, especially uh, with players like Bateman, where we haven't actually gotten that much clear information on what exactly this foot injury is. Uh, But Edwin Porras says that players with injuries described like this miss on average three to four games. So that, that should give Bateman a decent chance of suiting up this week. He, would be on the timeline for this week or next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's usually very little drop-off in fantasy production for these types of injuries for the rest of the season. So if Bateman's playing, I think you fire him up. There should be some upside here. Uh, The Ravens, uh, just since I was thinking about pass rate over expected after analyzing the Jets, I wanted to check in on the Ravens. They, They have a positive pass rate over expected uh, this year, uh, 2.6%. That's good for ninth in the league that they're actually throwing the ball. Even, I mean, kind of makes sense with the backfield situation again, but it, yeah. it's definitely, this is an offense where we could expect Rashad Bateman to go for long touchdowns and to outperform oppo as he had been in a small sample early in the season. Yeah. I mean, I, selfishly requested this one i've got him penciled in in the flex spot my home league and uh you know three receiver i I think he makes a ton of sense as like a flex in a deeper league like that and and probably even better than that it feels like a bit of a leap of faith here with bateman like you said some long touchdowns early on really carried him but i mean we bought into this profile before the season like we bought into his profile before he was drafted in the nfl we we buy into lamar jackson i know the passing game has its moments where we question it but like it, this does feel like the situation where, yes, it's a bit of a leap of faith here, but it's it all kind of adds up to make that make sense here. So I, I feel pretty comfortable playing Bateman. Sure, maybe he doesn't play a full load of snaps and we only get eight points out of him, but I do think there's enough big play potential that, yeah, get him in your lineup. You can feel pretty safe with him. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say on Rashad Bateman. So now I want to move to a situation where it it is wide receivers. So it it is my domain, Eric, but I I just am wanting, I'm just kind of checking here with you just to see what you think. Cause I, I don't know how to rank 49ers wide receivers this year. Right now I have Debo Samuel all the way up at wide receiver seven and Brandon Ayuk down at wide receiver 30. 
Uh, from an opportunity perspective, there is a clear gap between them. Uh, Samuel is averaging 15.6 oppo per game to Ayuk's 11.2. Debo's like a player that I always want to just bring down because he his, his oppo isn't really that of an, an elite wide receiver one. Uh, and the like the fantasy pros platform has actually yelled at me for ranking him too low before. So I'm, I'm kind of self-conscious of like, am I just being crazy for trying to get Debo and IU closer together? I, the thing is that the, the case for either of them from week to week is very similar. Like bo- both of them are probably going to have really good games. If the 49ers have to throw in a negative game script, like we saw last week, uh, that 11 targets for Brandon Ayuk and 10 for Debo plus two carries. So that that's the, t- I mean, if we, if we can get a fumble six from Jeff Wilson, like we'll be in good shape on the 49ers right. pass catchers, but that if that's what it takes, like I, I almost feel like I should just be ranking Debo down in like the twenties. If, if it's really going to be that up and down, but then he's the type of player where he can, absolutely destroy you in any given week if you fade him so i i just don't really know what to do here and i was hoping you had some guidance (laughs) right yeah it's i mean you look at the stats like this is a good matchup uh chiefs have allowed the fourth most points to opposing wide receivers i will say like the chiefs have had a pretty brutal schedule of passing games they've gone against this year um just it's kind of been every week that they've gone against a pretty good passing game i mean we're talking about arizona the chargers uh the colts Tampa Bay, I know they've struggled, but Las Vegas, Buffalo, like that's a pretty good slate of opposing offenses. So I am tempted to like want to push down that number and say the defense isn't that bad, but I expect Kansas City to get out to a lead. I expect the 49ers to have to throw the ball. So I would be bullish on Debo. He's been consistent this year. We haven't seen much breakout. I mean, he's only cracked the top 12 receivers once, but I, I don't think we can fade Debo in this matchup. I just... There's a chance that there are a lot of passing attempts here, but there's a lot of red zone attempts and he is going to be the primary beneficiary. I mean, we saw both Debo and Ayuk have good games last week with a, a rare George Kittle week. You know what I mean? So all we need Kittle is to go back into blocking and there's a little bit. I, I would be a little more skeptical about Ayuk, like the two touchdown spike last week. He's been pretty disappointing other than that. So I think him ranked pretty appropriately. Um, I would be about where you are on Debo wide receiver seven and down about 30 at at Ayuk. It's just, they find ways to get the ball in Debo's hands. I don't always feel that way with Ayuk. Yeah. And I mean, to illustrate that uh, Debo Samuel's average depth of target this season is just 4.6 where Ayuk's is 10.5. So yeah, those short scheme touches of let's just get the ball in his hands. Those are all going to Debo. So yeah. I mean, as, as you said, like he's only been inside top 12 once, like, so I, feel like a a total sheep just ranking him in the top 12 every single week along with the expert consensus but i for some reason i don't feel like it's like i don't i don't feel like it's fair for me not to but i i i just should like this this is stupid i i don't know why this is a hang-up for me yeah i mean the consistency does mean something and we're losing a lot of good options this week with stefan diggs and aj brown and all those names so I think probably a normal week, you've got him more around wide receiver 12. So I think this is a fine spot for him. I mean, we got a bunch of injured guys after him, like Keenan Allen. And, you know, I I feel good about Diva Samuel. I put him in the lineup and hopefully we get that boom week out of him. All right. Well, speaking of a boom week for the 49ers offense, let's get (laughs) into the quarterback streaming section of the show. 
Uh, I only have two streamers this week, and they're both guys we've talked about before. So not don't want to spend like too much time dwelling on them. But we've got Jimmy Garoppolo. I again, I have him ranked as the QB twelve this week against Kansas City. Still only forty eight percent rostered. Um, but I mean, I recommended him last week too. So I, I don't. I guess I don't feel bad pretending like people could have him because I. I mean, if you listen to me, maybe you do. So the Chiefs have been an extreme pass funnel this season. I, some of that is just facing good opposing passing games, as you said, but I, I think there's something to them forcing negative game scripts. Yep. Jimmy put up 17 fantasy points last week, and it, it was because he threw a season-high 41 times. We we love the 41 dropbacks from Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> um, the Chiefs are third in fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position. Uh, but I, I mean, as like a negative that somehow the spread in this game is only two and a half points. I, I would have expected the chiefs to be favored by like a touchdown, but may, I don't know. May, Vegas is like very high on the 49ers in, uh, compared to what I would be. So may, maybe that means good things for Jimmy G and their offense. Yeah. I've been surprised how high everyone has been on the, the 49ers all dating back to the preseason. I mean, I think their defense is pretty banged up at this point too. Like they're losing some pieces. So yeah, I would expect the chiefs to be playing with a lead two and a half points. I would, t- I would take the Chiefs' side of that for sure. So um, yeah, Jimmy G we, we know what he is and when they have to pass, you're going to get your 18 points out of him. So I feel pretty comfortable starting him this week. Yeah. And the quarterback position is dreadful. <laughs> like don't, don't even, my rankings are not safe for work. Like they will hurt your eyes. Uh, so, yeah. So yeah. I got to say, in two of my leagues, I was desperate at quarterback. I somehow got Derek Carr on waivers in both of them this week, and it was like a blessing from above, you know? Like, when we're there with Derek Carr, it's uh, we know what kind of season we're having. I was excited to get Derek Carr in a guillotine league this week. I'm like, yes, this this is a quarterback I actually feel good about. My problems are solved. Ball. Yeah, like, oh, God. So, that yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, so my next streamer is again, Marcus Mariota. I'm so sorry. We can't stop talking (laughs) about him on this part podcast. Uh, he's my QB 16 at the Bengals, uh, up to 28% rostered. So maybe we're steaming him a little bit, but I, I feel like he's going to be around until he stops playing um, for (laughs) us this year. But yeah, kind of similarly, just trying to find a negative game script here and hoping that Arthur Smith will finally cave and be forced to throw the ball i i mean it's not like arthur smith is above like drawing up draw plays on third and 14 down two scores like this so by no means a guarantee but mariota's been shockingly efficient as a passer this year i may so maybe that's credit to arthur smith i 13 of 14 attempts last week he completed 13 of his 14 attempts he ranks top 10 in EPA per pass attempt this season somehow. Uh, and he's one of only 16 currently starting quarterbacks with a positive EPA per play this year. So the, the numbers say that Mariota is actually playing well, even before you factor in his rushing. Uh, and I mean, he's had at least five rushing attempts in every single game this year, ran for a touchdown last week. I, that That's always something that can help us out in fantasy. So I'm, yeah, I'm as I am every week, kind of tepidly optimistic on Mariota. Uh, The Falcons are implied 20 and a half points this week, which is shockingly not that bad compared to the rest of the league. That 
is 18th. Usually 20 and a half would put you like bottom five, but that's <laughs> not the case. And as we talked about, as we talked about, the Falcons always beat that implied total number. So that yep. we, we can expect at, at least 21 points from them this week. Yeah, I generally like the Falcons offense this week. Um, Bengals defense, uh, DJ Reader starting to catch up with them. They're starting to give up yardage on the ground. Uh, they're also going to be without Logan Wilson, most likely uh, their best linebacker this week. I actually, I think they kind of match up better with passing teams right now than they do running teams. So I do think Atlanta can move the ball. And we know that Atlanta and Cincinnati only play like field goal games. It's, it's going to be separated by a field goal. So I think they'll be able to run their offense. And that's generally been pretty productive for Atlanta this year. So QB 16 sounds about right. I wouldn't love it with Mariota, but he's one of your better streaming options this week. Yeah, I mean, I guess the worry, like you say, is if the Bengals are trending run funnel now, like Arthur Smith will be very happy to only let Mariota throw the ball 14 times once again. And yeah, we I, we can't expect that to always work out for fantasy like it did last week. But it, yeah, yeah well, that's kind of where we're at, just ba- banking on that efficiency. And yeah, I mean, if it's if they're moving the ball and getting into the red zone, then then Mariota can save his day on a rushing touchdown. Let's yeah, exactly. Play. We're we're chasing touchdowns with Mariota through the air or on the ground. So yeah, we just need points scored for Atlanta here. I would say. All right. Well, that pretty much does it for quarterback streamers. So Eric, you told me before the show that you've actually feel pretty good about the tight end position right now. So I, I mean, I'm glad it we feel good about at least one position in fantasy football. So. Why, why don't you take us through the actually a, a lot of tight end streamer options you have this week? Yeah, I, I don't know if I said I feel good about this position, but uh, I, I feel like tight end 14 and 24 is about the same. So if you are looking for one on waivers, they're just about as good as your opponent might have. So I actually think Hunter Henry is trending in the proper direction. He's 44% rostered on Yahoo and uh, he's my tight end 10 this week against the Bears. I like this matchup. He had a 23% target share last week, a 97% snap share, and that was with Jonu Smith back on the field. So uh, Hunter Henry's kind of come off the mat here. Uh, a couple straight good weeks. We aren't too worried about who their quarterback is anymore. Like Bailey Zappi's looked good. Mac Jones has looked good when he plays. So, yeah, I feel really good about Hunter Henry. He's my first option. Um, I don't know if as a Pats fan you have any pushback, but if he's out there, I would get him, and you might be able to start him for a few weeks here. I wouldn't really push back too much. I'll say that the the offense feels like it's been better designed these last few weeks. So I I don't know if Matt Patricia is finally hitting his stride um, (laughs) as a play caller, but it, or it could alternatively also just be that Bailey Zappi is making the offense look better. That still, still quite the hot topic up here. If like, I can't even turn on sports talk radio right now because it drives me absolutely insane, but yeah, to definitely sign off on Hunter Henry as, as a tight end in, in that 14 to 22 range. Yep. Next up, Evan Ingram there every week, 38% rostered. He's my tight end 12 against the Giants. He had a 27% target share last week. Marvin Jones and Jamal Agnew were banged up, could miss this week. So Evan Ingram doesn't score touchdowns, pretty low ceiling, but he'll get you your eight to 10 points if you need it. But I think the one that the ones that people really want to hear about here are Kate Otten, Daniel Bellinger, and Greg Dulcich uh, all have really encouraging stuff from last week. Um, Otten, we talked about him a lot up top, but he's my tight end 15, only rostered in 6% of the leagues. Uh, Cam Brate looks like he's going to be out. So I think that puts Otten right in the top 12 tight end range, uh, if, if not a little lower than that, but right in that range. Um, Daniel Bellinger for the Giants against Jacksonville. 
only 12% rostered. He had a 20% target share last week and a 94% snap share. So we know it's a low volume passing offense, but uh, he is getting a lot of work there. So you can start Bellinger pretty confidently. And then Greg Dulcich, only 8% rostered playing the Jets. I had him ranked low because I didn't think that Wilson was going to play. I thought it was going to be Brett Ripien, but we might have Russell Wilson here. So it puts Dulcich on the radar, uh, 70% snap share, 12% target share in his first week back. So that's who I'm looking at here. And I do think there's actually a little bit of upside in some of these younger players. So it, it's better than you might expect on a bye week heavy week seven. So I, I don't know if any of those names stand out for you, Ryan, but um, yeah, I think you got some nice choices this week. Yeah, I I mean, Kate Otten stands out the most just because I feel the most confident in his quarterback and in his passing game for the rest of the season. But that I mean, that we're splitting hairs here. Like I'd be I, I think it's actually kind of worth stashing one of these guys and rostering a second tight end just yeah. because it if there is any outside chance that one of these rookie tight ends comes in and makes like a genuine fantasy impact through the rest of the year. Like that there are like two tight ends that are doing that right now, that that is a pretty big advantage over the field that is is probably worth a roster spot. Honestly, if like, if you don't feel good enough about starting Greg Dulcich this week, uh, just stash him on your bench and play a Hunter Henry or a Robert Tunyon or an Evan Engram, like where, where we think maybe rest of season there, upside isn't as big but i yeah the, shockingly I, i'm just advocating for tight end lotto stashes right now yeah i mean my scott fishbowl team which is top 35 no big deal uh it's a definitely a weird league type lots of flex spots and it's got tight end premium scoring but i currently have uh tyler higby tj hawkinson kate otten and greg dulcich on my roster i am just loaded with tight ends and i may be starting both otten and dulcich this week because i don't have stefan diggs or aj brown so uh, i feel relatively confident in them especially in a, a tight end premium league so you've got some options you've got some upside so boring veterans young rookies whatever you want here at tight end streamers that that is shocking that those are your tight ends in the scott fishbowl because i think i have the exact ones on my scott fishbowl team uh like minus hawkinson yeah. Uh, but I pretty big differences between our Scott Fishbowl team. You, you've been in the top 30 for the last few weeks. Uh, I, I am not. We'll put it that way. It's been, it's been pretty ugly. Uh, ter- turns out when you draft Javante Williams and Travis Etienne as your first two running backs in Scott Fishbowl, th- things don't work out. Uh, also, also Dak Prescott. I, I shouldn't I, complain about my Scott Fishbowl team. But the, the yeah. real secret is I drafted Patrick Mahomes and. Jalen Hurts. So that that's, it's a quarterback heavy league. That's what does it. So, okay. Let's go real quick through defensive streamers here, Ryan. Um, everyone can check out Michael James's article uh, every week, defensive streamers. I just want to highlight a few from his article and then maybe add one in, but uh, Bengals home against the Falcons. Falcons have allowed 14 sacks and have turned the ball over eight times on the season. Uh, Bengals are 41% rostered at home. So that's a, a clear streamer. Uh, we also have Titans at home against the Colts. Raiders at home against the Texans and Cardinals at home against the Saints on Thursday night football. Any of these stand out as your favorite play or did I miss anyone here? Uh, I'd say my favorite play is probably the Titans against Colts. Um, just okay. always, always happy from a process perspective to play the favorite in a low total game. Uh, and then I, I just think that the Titans are going to be able to get to Matt Ryan pretty easily. Like the, 
this is not a good uh, pass blocking offensive line. Uh, the Colts have allowed the fifth most sacks so far this year. And so I think that there, there's uh, some good fantasy potential for the Titans just to, to get to him and get, get those sacks for you. Yeah. And even if you have to, I know it feels gross playing the Las Vegas Raiders defense, but if you have to go that low um, home against Houston's not a bad spot. Texans bottom five in yards per attempt. Uh, Las Vegas has only allowed one rusher to go over 60 yards on the season. That was Derrick Henry and that was only 85. So I think we're at the point starting someone against Davis Mills is probably a good thing. So still got some options even on uh, Wednesday night uh, on your waiver wire. So you should be okay at defense, but um, yeah, even Cardinals 14% rostered. Like I'll take my chances against Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. So y'all should be set, but make sure you check out Michael's article if you want some more details. So any last thoughts, Ryan, before we get out of here? I'm just thinking that since you mentioned the Cardinals, like I, maybe I'll do this in the off season. I want to know that if, if you played a random fantasy defense that is in a primetime game. So if, if you took Thursday night, Sunday night and Monday night football. So those six teams each week and average their fantasy scores. I'm wondering where that would rank as far as like the fantasy defenses over an entire season. Like would, <laughs> would that, would that just be like the defense number five? Like, is, is that gonna, is that beating our streaming? Like I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm so curious. Like may, maybe this is the real process of it. If it's Thursday night, you play them. Yeah. I got, it reminds me, I got some friends who kind of hate the kicker position. So they just always pick up the Monday night kicker. They just want to have that hammer to like, just just crush the soul of their opponent with a, a random field goal to beat them on Monday night. So yeah, I think we're on to something here. Uh, Thursday night defenses, Monday night kickers. Yeah, uh, no, I love that too. Like I'll, always got to have some skin in the game. Like we, we've got DFS for that now, luckily. So I, I, you don't have to do things like that. And instead you can play, instead you can play Will Lutz and your captain. Like that. that's way better, right? <laughs> exactly. All right, everyone, we went pretty long on this one. We did not think we had a lot to talk about here, but uh, I think that this league is so uncertain this week that um, it, it led to a lot of interesting conversations, including how we know nothing about superhero movies. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we'll be back what we saw on Sunday night. Uh, I believe I'll actually be joined by Dustin Ludke on that one. So join us to catch up on the action. I will have our sit-start article out Thursday morning, so please check that out. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week. 